Uh, I do want to say something this morning. I talked quite a bit about righteous indignation last week. Uh, and I'm fearful that, that some people have may, may have concluded that there really is no place for righteous indignation. But I want to say to you that's just not true. There really is a place for righteous indignation. And what we mean by that is us expressing the fact that uh, we're upset when God's idea and purpose in things is not served out in his intended ways, that sort of thing. Uh, it cannot be consuming because the reality is the culture that we're living in today is becoming more and more godless, so it would be very easy for us to spend all of our time in that particular place. But the thing I wanted to make real clear last week is this, is that these three friends, this was the problem they, they had, is they had righteous indignation, but theirs was self-righteous indignation. See, they believed that Job was suffering because of his sin, and we know that ultimately they were right. But the wrong conclusion they came to was he was suffering because of his sin, because he was a great Sinner, he was a much greater sinner than everyone else. They'd never come out and say it, but basically what they're saying is we are not sinners or we're not suffering because we are righteous. So you understand that their indignation that they're expressing through this book is self-righteous indignation, not the righteous indignation that John the Baptist set forth when he spoke out against Herod, who had taken his uh, brother Philip's wife as his own. As we look out on this world, it should upset us. It really should. Because there are all kinds of injustices that take place. We could spend all day talking about them and never get close to being finished. It's everywhere. Our lives... This needs to be a major aspect of our lives, is living for Christ where we are. And we do a very great disservice to him. We do a very dis great disservice to the church when we come across as being self-righteous and indignant, which sometimes we very often do. So anyway, I just want to clarify that, that there really is a place for that, that righteous indignation is not a bad thing. It's, it's a bad thing when it's done wrongly and with the wrong perspective. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to turn to chapter 38. Uh, the three friends of Job are, are finished speaking at this point. So is this young whippersnapper named Elihu. Uh, they've all said their piece. Uh, they've all said basically the same thing over and over again. Uh, and basically the message is this, is that Job, you're suffering because you're a sinner, which we know ultimately is true. Uh, but their whole idea was you're suffering so greatly because you're a really great sinner. And what you need to do is just simply repent, and if you do that, God's going to forgive you for your wrongdoing, and things will be back to normal. God will bless you once again. 
we'll be picking up in chapter 38. The words of those three friends are all done. The words of Elihu are all done. The conversation now is going to be one that takes place between Job and God himself. Uh, Job doesn't really say much of anything. God is the one who does most of the talking, most of the speaking. So beginning with verse 1 in chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea uh, with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment in thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. Where is the way of the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths of its home? You know, for, when you, uh, uh, for you were born then, and the number of days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way of the place where the light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way of the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is on the desert in which there is no man? To satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. As the rain of father, or who has begun the drops of the dew, from whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. And you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion. Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up the voice to the clouds and a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? 
Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lion when they crouch in their dens or lie uh, in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and water about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young. Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I have given the arid plain for his home, the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture. He searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will the harrow, uh, he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but they uh, are they the pinions and plumage of love for the leave? Uh, she leaves her eggs on the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? The majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattled a quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin with fierceness and rage he swallows the ground he cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet when the trumpet sounds he says aha he smells the battle from afar the thunder of the captains and the shouting is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads the wings toward the south it is your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high on the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and strongholds. From there he, get, uh, he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, there he is. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I, I, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job has been asking all along 
to have a conversation with God. <laughs> with a mindset that if he surely God would grant him that, he would be able to straighten the whole situation out. God just obviously doesn't understand what's going on here, and Job just wants the opportunity to explain things to him. Well, Job gets his chance. He doesn't have a whole lot to say. Because he knows there's not a lot that he can say. What we're seeing here, my friends, displayed very clearly is the arrogance of man you know, over and again, you know it's true. You and I question God all the time. We question what he's doing. We, we look at a particular situation, and for the life of us, we can't figure out why this is happening. You and I need to constantly be reminded that God, in fact, is in control of absolutely all things, always. Nothing happens that happens that's not according to his perfect will and purpose. Not one single thing. Very often what God is doing in particular situations is obvious to us, but a lot of times and maybe even most of the time it just flat is not. So part of the, the, the deepest parts of the fallen human condition is we constantly question what God is doing, why he's doing it, and how he's doing what he's doing. There are a few other people that we can bring out in the Bible that had very close encounters with God. Adam and Eve. In their arrogance, they believed that they knew more than God knew and that God was withholding something from them for whatever reason. So they chose to disobey God. And after they fell in sin, we, we read these words, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and the man and his woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Their relationship with him was changed. Before that time, they had fellowshiped with him. Now they are in fear of him. Moses on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. He said to the Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And the Lord passed in front of him. Elijah on the same mountain many years later. The Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountain, and broke the rock in pieces.
We're told here that God spoke out of the whirlwind. It's the same thing that was revealed uh, in the passage in regard to Elijah. That God spoke forth out of the whirlwind. Whirlwinds in the Bible represent destructive forces sent forth by God. Peter, James, and John also had a very close-up and personal encounter with the Lord our God on that mountain of transfiguration. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And I would imagine those three men were forever changed from that experience that they had. I would imagine that it surely was a very humbling experience for all of those folks. And to some degree, it was a frightening experience for all of those folks. I would imagine at this point, Joe's looking for a hole to crawl into. <laughs> and there's not one. I mean, he finally has got what he's been asking for. He's, got, he's finally gotten what he wished for so strongly. And we're going to find out how he responds to this. He doesn't have a lot to say. We'll talk to God a little bit. He doesn't have much to say. And basically, he says, shut my mouth. How could I have been so arrogant to question God in regard to anything that he does and anything that he has done? There's a sense, and we need to understand that God is working in all of this to bring Job to where Job needs to be. Everything he is doing in your life, he's doing for a reason. And very often that reason is to bring you where you need to be. To get you out from where you are. I talk to God pretty frequently. I've been waiting for, to hear back from him, but I haven't heard that yet. If it happens, I'll let you know. Uh, but I do. I have conversations. They're one-sided conversations, in, in essence. You know, sometimes you feel the spirit moving and you know, that sort of thing, but we don't hear God speaking to our ears. We may feel him speaking to our hearts and our minds. But I can't tell you how many times we're confronted with situations like that, and you know, I have these little conversations with God, and I'm saying, God, what in the world are you doing here? This doesn't make any sense at all to me. How is there going to be any good that comes out of this? But you know what? It's amazing how many times he shows me to be totally, absolutely wrong. 
How many times in your life have you, have you gone through events and you're wondering, God, where are you in this? Why are you doing this? Why are you letting this injustice take place? Only to later get on the other side of it and go, you know what? Now I see. The truth is we fight with God all the time. And it's true for every one of us. One of the things I would say is this. We need to understand God doesn't owe us an explanation ever. He just flat does not. He doesn't have to explain to me anything he does or anything he wants to do or how he does whatever he does do. We are not in charge. Do you understand? That's what's going on here. God's bringing Job down off of his own self-righteous high horse. He blasts him with a barrage of questions that are completely unanswerable for every human being save for Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which there are rhetorical questions because it's the answer to all, all of them is obviously <laughs> there. Where were you when I? Have you ever in your whole life commanded the morning? Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you understood the expanses of the earth? Have you entered into the storehouses of snow? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you one time in your life ever remember binding the chains of the Pleiades? You know the constellation. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds? Can you send forth lightning? Do you? Will you? Can you imagine being Job at this point? Seriously. <laughs> Talk about being on the proverbial hot seat. He's on the hottest of seats there's ever been. And just remember, Job was this, was this person who was acknowledged by God as being very righteous among men. What would have you said to someone else? You understand that really what's coming forward here is just the absolute sheer arrogance of people. And it's something that we all have in common. Every time we question God and what God's doing, we're saying to him, I basically think I know better what to do here than you do.
I want to remind us of something this morning. God doesn't owe us an explanation for anything he does ever. He's in charge and we're not. He's in charge absolutely and we're not in charge really at all. I want to paraphrase chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Basically says, who do you think you are to question why or how I do anything? In essence, how can you believe or think for one minute that I am in any way, shape, or form accountable to measly little you? Ever. Well, Job's response in chapter 40, verse 4 is basically, shut my mouth. That's all I can say. He's been pleading, he's been desiring, he's been wanting, he's been asking for this audience with God so he can just explain it all to him. And now he's absolutely dumbfounded. And basically, even though he's had a lot of speech so far, he is now speechless. He can't think of anything to say. He's wishing now that all those words he's been spewing forth for all these weeks, he could just take and cram back in his mouth. For someone who had so much to say before, doesn't seem to be able to say anything now. Well, we have this book of Job for a lot of reasons, and one of those is there's a sense in which Job is a representation of us. He represents us. All of us. And like I said before, we constantly question God. How many times do you think, Lord, what in the world are you doing? It comes down to being a trust issue. And as long as there's a vestige of sin left in all of us, and there's way more than just a vestige of sin left in all of us, We will question God. And we will question his intentions. And one of these days, we're going to have our opportunity to have our audience with him.
my advice to you, don't say a thing. Nothing. The reason being, you don't have to. You don't even need to. Because you have someone speaking on your behalf right now in God's very throne room. And when you stand in God's judgment, he's going to be standing there with you. His name is Jesus Christ. The God-man. Again, it comes down to trusting. Trusting in God's intentions. Trusting in what God is doing. Years ago, we used to have quite a few young people in the church. Not so much anymore. But we tried to minister to our kids, and I think we did that to a very great extent. One of the things that we did one time is we took a group of the young people from here, and some of the older people went too, to a concert by Stephen Curtis Chapman down in Lakeland. We drove down to Lakeland. They had a big conference center and, uh, and all of that. And there were some things that took place in the concert, which is about music. Uh, but one of the things was this, was that uh, uh, Steve Saint was there, whose father was Nate Saint, who was one of the missionaries who was killed by the Alka Indians back in the 1900s in South America. And the Indian that had actually killed Steve Saint's father was there. And he calls him grandfather. That's how close the relationship he has with this Alka Indian. But the main reason we went this was to hear Stephen Curtis Chapman. And if you're familiar with his life at all, you know that his, his family suffered an unbelievable tragedy not long after that took place. Their five-year-old daughter was run over in their driveway by her 15-year-old brother, and she died. So what I'm telling you, this is a man who knew what real tragedy, what real suffering is. Can you imagine something like that happening? Can you imagine being that 15-year-old boy that lives with the rest of his life knowing that he killed his little five-year-old sister? It was all an accident. Just one of those unbelievable tragedies. And you look at that and you say, what in the world is this? What could God be doing in something like this? This is awful. There's a sense in which we want to say to God, where were you? How did you let such a thing happen?
some years later, he wrote a song. And it's one of my most favorite songs. I sing it to myself all the time. It's entitled, Be Still and Know That He Is God. Do you understand that it was their great faith in God and God's great love for that family that brought them through all of that and actually brought good out of what would have been otherwise absolutely terrible and awful? That song is rooted in Psalm 46, verse 10, where we read these words, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted of the earth. So let me ask you, how willing are you to be still And know that he is God, and you are not.